So if you're joining us for the first time, for several weeks now, we've been doing a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer, and this just really intersects beautifully as we now enter into Holy Week. And we're almost to the end of the Lord's Prayer. We're with what's called the sixth petition, sixth part of the prayer, lead us not into temptation. Now, sometimes when we hear this, I, I think this is one of the hardest ones to understand because it almost sounds like, well, does God sometimes lead us into temptation? Like, would God do that? But we heard in that reading from James that, no, God doesn't tempt anyone. You see, what temptation is trying to do to us is to pull us away from God. And of course, God doesn't want us to be pulled away from Him. God wants us to come to Him. And yet, I will tell you this, while God tempts no one, God allows us to be tempted in order to test us. And we know in the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, right after he was baptized, he was taken out into the desert by the Holy Spirit in order to be tempted by the devil. The devil's the one who did the tempting. But it was to test Jesus. Who did he love more? Did he love himself? Or did he love his father? And would he trust him? Now, that wasn't the only time. In fact, you can say that the entire life of Jesus was an all-out assault by the devil. And especially as we go into Holy Week, like that reading about the Garden of Gethsemane I just read for you. I mean, the devil, it's not in the text, but the devil is right there. And the devil's right there as Jesus is hanging from the cross, trying to talk him out of it, trying to pull him away from the Father and what he would do for us to earn us our salvation. Now, a little spoiler alert in case you didn't know. Jesus won. Jesus won the battle against temptation. Thanks be to Jesus. But as we learn to pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation. It's as if we're saying, let us not fall into temptation, or let us not lead ourselves into temptation. Martin Luther in his small catechism teaches us that temptation comes from three places. Two of them are outside of us. It comes from the devil He's always there trying to pull us away. It comes from worldly influences outside of us. But the real problem is within us. We tempt ourselves, don't we? We talk ourselves into things all the time. And in that reading from James, that first reading, he said this, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire, by our own desires. We pull ourselves away from God. The imagery here and the word in the Greek is like, allure of a fish. Many of you I know are, are fishermen or fisherwomen. You know, and think of that dumb little fish. He's in the water going around, and he sees the lure, and he desires the lure, and oh, snag. That's a good description of temptation. Or I like to think of it this way, my dumb dog shadow, all right? No, no, no don't go aw over him. He, he's, we love him. I do love him, but he's a stinker. This dog goes around, he eats my little, like my little Katie eats her toys, and he eats anything, and his favorite thing to feast on are Nerf darts. Kiddos, how many of you have Nerf guns and like to shoot Nerf darts? Yeah, a bunch of you. Okay. Shadow loves to eat the Nerf darts, and whenever you have a Nerf war, you never can find them all, and so he always finds them, and he eats them, and he loves them, and you can only imagine that Nerf darts don't work with his system very well, right? And this happens all the time. This happened just, I don't know, two or three nights ago. Shelly and I are asleep. We're, awa- we're awakened from our sleep too. And you can just imagine where this all went, right? Now, you would think after doing that for the very first time that Shadow would stop eating Nerf darts, right? Oh, no, 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 no. He desires Nerf darts. He will always eat the Nerf darts. 
And that, my friends, gives us a pretty good understanding sometimes even of ourselves. That we desire something that we really want, and we think it's going to make us feel good, and then pretty soon, I don't feel so good. Well, then that begs a question. Are our desires bad? Grown-ups, remember what it's like to be a teenager, although there's a lot of teenagers here. Remember what it's like, or you know what it's like to be a teenager when all of a sudden the lights go on, so to speak. From one moment, you're like, eh, the opposite sex is gross. The next minute, it's like, oh, I can't stop thinking about them. I can remember vividly the very first time, one of the first times that I ever held a girl's hand. It's classic. It was one of these awkward moments, right? Our hands brushed together, and then they embraced. And then it was like electricity from my hand, up my arm to my heart. Whoa, what was that? Oh, wow. Whoa, oh, desire is bad, bad. I shouldn't feel that. Chop my arm off. I can't feel that way, right? Really? Is this some kind of like trick you're playing on us? God, you give us these desires. You pump us full of hormones. And then you're like, no, no, it's bad. Is, is that what it is? If, if desire is bad, I don't know if I want to be good right? That's where we all fall. Sometimes we think that's what Christianity is about. Oh, your desires are bad, terrible. Really? Is that what it's about? If we believe that, then what we do is we go back the other way and we just indulge in whatever we want. And once again, we're shadow the dog. Eat the nerf darts, puke, repeat. I think it's going to make me feel good. And then I can't figure out why I end up so miserable. The problem is not desire. The problem is that we've got to have right desires, and that our desires have to be rightly directed. When James, in that reading, talks about that desire, being enticed by your own desire, that's a very specific Greek word that's talking about what we'd call lustful desire. And not just lustful sexual desire. Lustful desire is anything that says, I just want to do whatever makes me feel good. And it's all that desire directed back towards me and towards myself. But if God gave us desire, I mean, this is part of what it means to be human, right? Can you imagine living a life without desire? If God gave us desire, maybe it wasn't just to mess around with us, but maybe he wants all of that desire to be directed to him. And let me ask you this. Do you desire God? Everybody here, maybe, maybe not, maybe not, maybe not some of us, but I suspect a lot of us here would say, well, you know, I believe in God. No, no, no. Do you desire God? Desire him? I mean, you know, he's okay. He's there, you know. He helps me when I'm in need. Desire him? Hmm. But if you would go back and read the stories of the great saints, they would describe their desire for God like that electricity running through them. Oh, God, Lord. Do you have that? See, again, the question is not that desire. We're not saying that desire is bad. It's it's all about having rightly directed desire, right desire. God has made us so that our lives are filled with desire and passion, but it's got to be rightly directed to Him. What temptation does is it taps into that lustful desire, the wrong desire that wants to pull us away from God and back to ourselves, back to the very thing that just lights us up, but we want to make that into our God. 
Let me ask you, what are the things in your life that just light you up? Like, oh, wow, love it. One of my kids loves hedgehogs. This is not his hedgehog, but he looks just like this little guy. Prickly little creature. I cannot figure out for the life of me why my son is so fascinated with hedgehogs, but he is. He has a little pet. Why? The Lord put that in his little heart. Moms and dads, when your kids have something that just lights them up and you're like, what? what's that all about? That is their way back to the Lord. This is what James was talking about. James says this, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. Everything is a gift from God. Everything, all these things that light us up are meant to do just that. They're supposed to be like a conductor. You know how electricity works, right? It goes through the conductor. It's supposed to go from us, from our desire, through the thing back to God. But here's where we get stuck. We stop at the conductor. We sort of short circuit right there. Our desire goes out from us for the thing, and then we say, oh, it's good, and I want more, and I want more and more, and I, oh, I know I'm full, and I should really stop, but it's so good, and I want more and more, and then, of course, we end up like Shadow the Dog all over again. But when someone who you truly love gives you a gift, what do you love more, the gift or the one who gave it to you? You see, what lustful desire will do this misplaced or misdirected desire is that it'll take the gift and kick the giver to the curb. When my wife, Shelly, and I first started dating, it was in January, and so Valentine's Day rolled around like a month later. And she wasn't really kind of sure what she wanted to get me for Valentine's Day. We liked each other right away, you know, we were but you know, you know how it is. You don't like to want to go over the top and be too serious or whatever. By the way, she told me on our first day that she loved me, but I'm just saying. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for that later. Anyway. <laughs> so she, you know, she didn't want to go over the top. So she goes to my brother and she said, you know, what should I get him for, uh, for Valentine's Day? And my brother says, he loves the movie Fletch with Chevy Chase. How many of you have ever seen the movie Fletch? few of us. I know I'm kind of dating myself as an 80s guy, but okay, so he loves the movie Fletch. Buy him the movie. And so I was like, oh, I don't, you know, that's not very romantic. And whatever. Trust me, buy him this movie. And so she does. Here it is right here. I know the kids are looking. I'm like, what's that? <laughs> Boys and girls, this is a VHS tape before we had Netflix. <laughs> So she buys me the movie for Valentine's Day. She gives it to me for Valentine's Day. I was like, oh, wow. Thank you. Whoa. And then I dumped her. Well, I got the movie I always wanted, right? Of course not. You know how the story goes. We ended up getting married. In fact, I was like, whoa, wow. I want to marry this girl who would do something like that. This is how you speak to a guy's heart, by the way. But see, my point is this. I went from the gift to the giver. All the stuff that God gives you that lights you up, that's what it's supposed to do. From the desire of your heart to the gift. But don't stop there. It's meant to project you to God and tell you how good he is and how much he loves you. But we don't do it. And that's why we're here. Our desires are not directed to him. Jesus said it in the Garden of Gethsemane. 
The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Oh, there's a part of me like, yes, I want to be like that. I want my desire to be for you, Lord. And then there's this whole other part of me, this thing called the flesh that is weak. Now, by flesh, it doesn't mean the body, like the body versus the soul. Our flesh is that sort of spiritual condition that is just so gravely weakened. That part of us that doesn't act like a human being actually acts more like an animal and desires something and goes after it and goes away from God. That's the flesh. So what do we do? My first reaction, and, and I bet some of us are like this, think, well, if I'm weak, then what I got to do is I got to be strong. I got to get stronger. I can do this. I can change. I can get better. I can win. That strength's got to be down there in me somewhere. Dig deeper. I, I, I. Self-reliance. Oh, the Lord's been dealing with me on this one big time lately. If you think the answer's in you, no way. Because what happens is then I fall, or I fall asleep, or I let down my guard. And then I just repeat the whole cycle all over again. No. If you want to win victory over temptation, and if you want to have your desires rightly pointed towards God, the answer is not in you and just, I got to be stronger. The answer is actually to stay, this is is counterintuitive, I know, but you actually have to stay in your weakness. Stay in your weakness. Right there. Jesus tells us how we fight. He says, watch And pray that you may not enter into temptation. The very same words as the Lord's Prayer. He uses the same words. He's teaching us about the Lord's Prayer right here. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. You got to watch. It's like keeping guard against an attack. You you, got to know your weaknesses. You got to know your triggers and how the devil's going to try to get there or how you're going to pull yourself away. You stay up late at night. No one's around. You're bored. How do you think it's going to go? You hand your kids a device and let them lock themselves in the room. How do you think it's going to go? Guard. Watch. But even more, Jesus says, and pray. And by this, he doesn't mean, oh, pray more. Try harder. Pray more. Friends, we've got to learn how to pray. How to pray. There's this verse that, again, it's been just working on my heart for a couple of weeks now from, the, from Romans chapter 8. Paul writes this. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. How many of you have ever heard the saying, God helps those who help themselves? That is not in the Bible. This is in the Bible. God helps, the Spirit helps those in their weaknesses. It's not about being strong. It's about opening up those weaknesses to the Holy Spirit. And what does he do? He comes to us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Those groanings are those desires within us that we don't even know how to put into words because we don't know how to desire rightly. But he comes to us in those moments Friends, if we just stay in our weaknesses, the Spirit promises to help. And this is what Jesus did. 
There in the Garden of Gethsemane, he didn't fight temptation with his almighty God power. He became weak. He let himself be weak, and he stayed right there in the weakness as he was battling between his father's desire and his desire for his father and his own desire to save himself from that, the cross. What would you want? This was a battle inside of him, but he just stays there in the weakness. And it's said in the gospel that when Jesus went to pray, he fell on his face. Literally, Jesus threw himself on the ground because he's throwing himself on his Father. Not self-reliance, I can do it. No, Father, he trusted him. In your weaknesses, when we're down at the very bottom, that's all we can do is trust but he promises to come to that. The Spirit promises and to teach us how to pray. Do you know what it means to pray? Do you know how to pray? Do you know what prayer really is? Prayer is longing for God. Prayer is desiring God. And sometimes you can't even put it in words. That ache that every one of us has in our hearts. Oh, it's for him. It's for him. That's how we gain the victory. By learning how to pray. To rightly pray. To rightly direct those desires. For our desires to be for God and for him alone. To want what he wants. Because your heart is so aligned with his heart. But we're not there yet. We call that heaven. We call that heaven when we're finally so in love with God, there is nothing else. But Jesus came this holy week, friends, to win heaven for you and for me, to set our hearts right, to win this victory, to give you the desire of your heart. But here's the thing. We're not there yet. You got to go into your garden of agony. Whatever your battle is right now, you got to go into this garden you got to go into this garden of agony so you end up on the garden, in the garden we're going to talk about next Sunday, which is the garden of the empty tomb where Jesus won. He won. But for now, as you're in this garden, the garden of agony in this life, here's the good news. Here's the good news. Jesus comes into that garden with you. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, We do not have a high priest, Jesus, who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Every respect, our God has been there. Jesus has been there. Wherever you're at right now, Jesus has been there, and he's there with you right now in that garden of agony. He knows it. But he won, and he's going to show you the way to win. And so it says, let us draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help those in time of need. There it is. There's the victory. That we stay in this place of weakness and we let him come to us and give us the grace and the mercy that we need. Friends, throw yourselves on Jesus. Throw yourself on Jesus and trust him and let him come to you. And pray to his Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and teach us 
how to pray and teach us how to desire rightly. Would you please stand and pray with me?